Hey everybody, it is great to be with you. Welcome to church. My name is Ashley Matthews. I'm the associate lead pastor uh, here at Trinity, but today uh, here on location, we're still over at the east side, soon to be today, as of today, uh, Emmanuel Anglican Church. What a gift to be able to celebrate the launching of Emmanuel today on Pentecost Sunday, uh, both uh, with those at Emmanuel and with all of you on the west side. We are so thankful to the Lord for all that he's done. We're going to be uh, preaching today from Revelation 22. If you have Bibles, you want to go ahead and get those. Uh, we'll read the text and, and pray together as we always do. Before we look at the Bible, I just want to acknowledge, speaking of Pentecost Sunday, it was a year ago today that we as a church uh, and as a nation were grieving the tragic killing of George Floyd and all the grief that ensued in our city and all around the country as a result. And so it felt really fitting and appropriate today to give you somewhat of an update on where we've been over the course of the past year with respect to some of what we shared and said about our own feelings going through all of that on Pentecost Sunday uh, last year. So as of last year, last spring and summer, we chose to formally partner with a consultant, a DEI consultant, in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion, who's been working alongside our leadership and our staff with respect to um, our, our efforts, advancing our efforts um, with re racial reconciliation at Trinity. Uh, this consultant happens to be uh, both an expert in the area of race in the church and also a dear friend. We love her and her team so much. And we've had an incredible experience with them over the course of this past year. We have prayed together, we have lamented together, we have learned together. And we've been working really hard to create actionable steps that we can take as a church to do the work of racial reconciliation within our own body and in the city that we care about so much. You're gonna be hearing more about that in the days ahead, but I just wanted you to know that we have taken and continue to take our words and our commitments made to you very seriously, both behind the scenes and face-to-face -face with each other. I also want to say a word of thanks especially to our Race, Diversity, and Inclusion Council that we created again last year. This is a group of uh, racially diverse men and women from our church, each of them very committed both to Trinity, to Atlanta, and to this work of racial reconciliation. Uh, we love all of you. We are so thankful for you. And we look forward uh, to all that God has in store for our church in the days ahead. So stay tuned. Uh, more to come in Jesus' name. All right, if you have Bibles, we'll be in Revelation. Chapter 22, we're going to read and then we'll pray. Then the angel showed me, John writes, the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Through the middle of the city, through the middle of the street. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. For the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. See, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, 
May it be so, Lord. We ask you, Jesus, we ask you to come, Lord. We ask you, Lord, we look forward to and anticipate the day when you will come in the ways that we've seen here at the end of Revelation, when you will renew all things, restore all things. We anticipate, Lord, that day today. We look to it. But we also ask you now, Holy Spirit, will you come and lay hands of peace on us? Will you help us, Jesus, to peer into these mysterious things, ultimate heavenly things, Lord, and pull them into our present moment so that they can matter for the lives that we're living right now? So we can do, Lord, exactly as you intend us to do. See you as you are. So we bless you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Pentecost Sunday uh, is the day, of course, when we are called by the church to remember the coming of the Holy Spirit on that incredible day in Acts and the birthday of the church when quite literally the church uh, was born through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost Sunday also marks the end of the Easter season and shifts us into a new season which we're called to ask, what does it mean now to be the church, to be people who are filled with the Spirit of God and doing the works that Jesus did, even greater things than these Jesus said that we would do through the work of his Spirit. And that's the key, right? Whatever it means to be the church. And I suspect that many of us have been asking that question uh, really literally over the last number of months. What does it mean to be a Christian in days like these? What does it mean for the church to be the church at a time like this? Well, the answer over and over again throughout the Bible and all that it might mean for sure, what it most certainly means is that it, whatever it is, involves the person work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot be who we were meant to be as the church without him. And not only just can we not be the church, you cannot be who you were meant, called, and created to be without him. Neither can I. That's what we know to be true. It is to the work of the Spirit that we are who we were called and created to be. So we're going to be thinking, obviously, about that uh, today. We're also wrapping up our study of Revelation, looking at this last and maybe one of the most epic moments of the whole book here in chapter 22. And what I want to do today in our time together is make a connection, actually, between what happened at Pentecost and what we see happening now here again at the end of Revelation chapter 22 maybe sort of read them or think about them in light of one another. So we'll start with Pentecost. And we, of course, don't have a time to tell the whole story of Pentecost. Uh, I wish we could take we could, a whole sermon or a few sermons just on that one day. But some of you, many of you anyway, know at least part of the story. It was on the day of Pentecost that Jews were gathered um, in Jerusalem keeping the festival of Pentecost, which was a day for Jews, a whole festival in honor of the commemoration of the giving of the Ten Commandments at Sinai. So we come to Jerusalem every year to celebrate when God gave the Ten Commandments, the law, uh, to Israel. And here's why that matters to note. is because for Israel, the giving of the Ten Commandments, as we call them, or Torah, as Jews call them, um, that, that gift was an incredibly big deal. You, you have to imagine that for Israel, they've just come out of the Exodus event, out of Egypt, and now they're huddled together at Sinai, and they have no clue what's next. They've left slavery, and now they're moving into what they expect, hope to be a new kind of freedom, but they don't know how to get there. They don't know how to be those people. And it's when they're feeling that way, uh, pretty stuck, maybe even many of them wanting to go back to where they had been, that God comes and provides 
He provides by giving them what they believe to be a gift, the gift of the law. Jews have never talked about the law as a burden. It is not a burden for them. It is gift. The words of the psalmist come to mind. You remember the psalmist said, your law is more precious to me than many pieces, thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Your law is my delight, my counselor. Um, Psalm 119 is a kind of a love poem to the law. Jews really love it. They believe it as gift because for them, it was God's provision. It was a way for them to be who they were meant to be and get where they were meant to go. So like holding that moment in mind, there's really no wonder why God chose then the day of Pentecost, many, many hundreds of years later, to be the birthday of the church, to be the day that the Holy Spirit would come. Because the Holy Spirit was meant to be for the church, exactly what the law had been for Israel. The Holy Spirit would be the means by which we were going to be who we were called to be. We were going to get to where we were meant to go. And it came at a time when the disciples of Jesus, if you put yourself in their place, they were also huddled together, trying to figure out how in the world they were possibly going to do the next thing. Jesus was gone. All they'd ever known of what it meant to be faithful was to follow him quite literally, to look at him and go where he went, and now he wasn't there anymore. How do we do what he did without him here? How do we be who God's called us to be? And that's when the Holy Spirit comes as a gift, as an act of provision to move through the church so that we could be who we're meant to be and do what we're supposed to do. With that in mind, here's the first point I want to make thinking about Pentecost, thinking about the gift of the Spirit. It was reminded that God always provides for what he requires. What God intended to do through Israel, he provided for. What God intended and intends today to do to the, through the church, he has y'all provided for. What he wants to do through your life, what he has required of you and your life, he has provided for. And I think that some of us need to hear that and be reminded that that is true. Our culture has also required things of us. I know a lot of people, myself included, who feel the weight of being tapped and asked for things, the weight of expectations, of having to do something that you don't know how to do, be something you don't know how to be. All of us feel that feeling to some varying degree of not having enough or being enough. And our culture really loves it that way. Um, you're never smart enough. Um, you never have enough money. You never work hard enough. You're never hot enough. You get one surgery, then you know TikTok or Instagram is just gonna tell you you need another one, just a different filter. That's just the world that we live in. It's a mounting feeling of not having enough, of being insufficient. And the culture loves it that way because it quite literally thrives off you wanting and needing more. Because then you buy more, you work harder. So it relies on that feeling. But that feeling of utter insufficiency in every area of our lives, which plagues so many people, y'all, is just not from God. That feeling you have that your job doesn't quite measure up or your marriage doesn't quite measure up or you don't quite measure up because you're not married or don't have a job, those feelings do not come from the Lord because what the Lord requires of us, what he asks of us, he always provides for. 
This day is meant to be an emphatic reminder that that is true. I also want to acknowledge that many of us feel oftentimes mad and frustrated at God, even if we're not able to admit it or recognize it, because we feel that way. Like he ought to be doing something that he's not doing so that we could feel like we had more of something we don't have. This day is meant to be a reminder that he has exactly what you need. And what he has for you is better. It is good. There's space for a lot of us between that feeling of what we need, as God has defined it, described it, or sees it, and what we want. Like, we all know that there's space between those things. God wants something for me, and I want something very different for myself. And there's this gap, and that gap is really frustrating and sometimes really painful for a lot of us. It is and has been for me, too. But the gift of this passage in Revelation chapter 22 is that I don't believe anyone can read that passage and accuse this God of not caring about what we want or what we need. It is a vision of abundant provision. It's a paradise. And it's God's way of saying, without saying it directly, look, I get it. I know what you want, the desires of your heart, what you need. I see them. I know it. And I intend to provide for those things. The promise of Pentecost is that when the Spirit comes into my life, as Jesus intends for him to, And y'all, there's just no getting around it. I cannot experience the fulfillment of God as a person apart from his spirit. I just won't. That nagging lack of want and need will always be there. It is the work of his spirit to fulfill me and give me what I need. And when I look at the story of Pentecost in the same way that Revelation chapter 22 with these scenes of flowing rivers and fruit-bearing trees, powerful scene of abundance, I look at Pentecost at Acts 2 and I see a similar scene. It looks very different. But it's one of abundance. People receive the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit, and that was a party. It was not a dull time. People felt fulfilled in ways that they had prior to that moment not been able to even really imagine or know how to ask for. And that's the whole point. Prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit, they wanted probably many of them to go back to what they had, back to the days of sitting around the fire with Jesus, back to the days of planning for the days in Jerusalem, backwards and then the spirit came and after the spirit came it couldn't want to go backwards anymore all they could want to do was more of what God had for them through his spirit and that's the reminder for today I will always want to go backwards to some other time or to some greener grass apart from the fulfillment of God's spirit but when I have that as I'm meant to then I can trust that God is providing for what I need for today and where I am today is really good. So I want to shift then and name a second point. With that in mind, I believe God wants to redeem our failures and provide for our futures. I think this vision in Revelation 22 is meant to be a reminder of exactly that, that God wants to redeem your failures and provide for your future. This vision is meant to be a promise that that's who he is. Unless you know the story of the Bible, you can't recognize Revelation chapter 22 as a redemption story. 
But if you do know the story of the Bible, it's very obvious. There's this beautiful river. There are these fruit-bearing trees. They're named as the tree of life. And that imagery sounds familiar because it's the imagery of the Garden of Eden. Here at the end of the story, we've come full circle and gone all the way back to the beginning of the story. We're back in the Garden of Eden. Same trees, same river. Except in Genesis, if you'll remember, not only is there the tree of life, which has reappeared here at the end of the Bible, but there's also that other tree, the tree of good and evil. And I just want us to recall that uh, story together for a, mi- for, for a moment. That was the one tree, you remember the tree of good and evil, it was the one we were not supposed to eat from, but of course we do eat from it. And when we eat from it, sin and death are unleashed into the story, not just for Adam and Eve, but into the whole of creation, to the human story. Satan, the serpent, he comes to Adam and Eve, and the invitation he makes, looking at the tree of good and evil, he says, take and eat. This will make you like God. This will give you what you need. This will fulfill you. That was the temptation. It was the great lie. And, of course, they did it. And what resulted instead was separation, enmity with one another, separation and enmity with God and with all of creation. It was our tragic loss. That's where the Bible starts, with provision and then with the story of loss. But then the good news of the gospel is that another tree enters the story. A tree's factor, by the way, in incredible ways throughout the Bible, and that's a Bible study for a different day, um, but powerful imagery throughout the Bible around trees. We start with trees, and when we get to the gospel, we get another tree. The story of Jesus, Jesus being on the cross, the cross itself was, of course, a tree. And this moment we're meant to recognize as a redemption moment. Jesus was himself, as he hung on the tree, a kind of fruit, if you'll think about it that way. So at the beginning of our story in Genesis, it starts with a tree and with fruit. And that fruit becomes the source of our sin, the source of our separation from God. And it was the temptation of the enemy to take and eat that fruit that led us to that place of separation and sin. But when we get to the gospel, we see Jesus hanging on the cross as a kind of tree, offering himself as a kind of fruit. And then we hear the words of Jesus say to us in the upper room, and every time we take communion, take and eat. This is my body, and it was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Every time you hear those words, you are meant to hear a moment of redemption. Jesus was going all the way back to the moment of our loss, our failure, and he was redeeming that moment through his own life by the gift of himself and saying to us, I always have what you need. It has always been in me. You don't have to go anywhere else. I've provided for you. I've provided for it, whatever it is. There are these moments in the Bible uh, that ought to make us want to sort of stand up and clap, you know? It's just so good. It's so brilliantly perfect. Redemption stories that only God can tell. And that's the reason, of course, here at the end in Revelation 22 that we meet this tree of life again. It's God's way of saying he's taken us all the way back to the moment of our most epic failure as humanity and saying, even here, even in a place like this, I can redeem all things and make all things new. I can not only restore them, but I can make them abundant so that they provide for you. So here's what that means practically for you. 
I think in light of Revelation 22, you and me are meant to call to mind our own moments of epic failure and loss. That was the Garden of Eden in the Bible. That was our place. I think we're meant to call that moment to mind. When did you not have what you needed? Did you feel like not enough? And as a result, you sinned. You did something that you wish that you hadn't done, that you regret, that hurt people, that hurt you. I believe that today is an invitation for you to call that moment to mind. I know my moments. For me, it is the moment when my dad left. That's one of them. Epic and painful loss. This vision is an invitation for me to call to mind that moment, the day he walked out of the door. It's an invitation for me to call to mind the day that I betrayed my best friend by telling his secret, one of the greatest griefs of my life, where I met the traitor in me. The day that I betrayed my own body because I felt ashamed and I felt sad and scared. All those moments, and you have your own. What Jesus, I believe, intends for us to hear today is that he can take and intends to take a moment like that and all the ones that are in front of you. And if you will give them to him, invite his Holy Spirit into your life, he can make those moments that feel to you like utter failure and loss into redemption stories that provide for people. Y'all, this tree of life provides fruit that serves as healing for the nations. That's God's way of saying your own pain and loss can bear fruit that provides healing for the people around you. But you got to give it to me. Because the enemy has no interest in redeeming your failure. He'll use it against you. Jesus will turn it into life for you. So what will it look like for you to give it to him? For you to invite him into that place in your life. Two questions for you before we pray together. Where do you feel the greatest sense of failure or loss right now? The job you hate that is surely utterly useless. The marriage that it just isn't working. You have your thing. Where do you feel the greatest sense of failure? I want to encourage you, challenge you even, to invite the Holy Spirit into it. To say to him, come here. Because I don't imagine how this bears fruit, but apparently you can. Second question. Where do you need God's provision, the provision of his spirit in your life right now? Where do you need his provision Name it before the Lord, and I would encourage you to name it before people close to you, with you. All right, amen. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, come, Lord. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.
Amen. Amen. God bless all of you. Uh, we'll see you next week and very soon inside. Amen. <laughs>